I don't really give them that benefit of the doubt. I think it has a lot more to do yeah. with control and power. Um, but you know, that, don't even have to make that argument because it's just a bad idea to, to centralize decision-making. This is Rebecca Hardy, president of Texans for Vaccine Choice, here with another uh, very exciting episode of TFEC Shop Callers, and I am so excited about our guest today, uh, Mike or uh, Michael or Mike uh, Meharry. <laughs> it is so great to have you as a guest today. Uh, you are the National Communications Director for the Tenth Amendment Center, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, you're also the author of four books, numerous ebooks, all about um, you know protection of liberty and the you know furthering the cause of liberty in America. Uh, you also have a degree in mass communications and media studies from the University of South Florida, and you also hold a BS degree in accounting from the University of Kentucky. Um, is there anything else um, you think our listeners should know about you, Mike? I don't know. I, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, I, I play hockey. I don't know if that if that's relevant to anything in the world, but uh, sure, it it's, is. It's a fun. It's know. a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, there, there. I love to know about your hobbies for sure. Well, um, let's dive in, which is kind of like a little bit of an overview of uh, the Tenth Amendment and what the focus of the Tenth Amendment Center is. Okay, absolutely. Uh, I like to sum up kind of what we do at the 10th Amendment Center with one pretty simple sentence. Follow the Constitution, every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. That really sums up the, the whole mission of the 10th Amendment Center. Sounds so uh, simple, doesn't it? <laughs> right, it does. And it's like, we're so far from it. Yeah. But uh, so we, we do kind of two things at the 10th Amendment Center. One thing is education. We teach about the Constitution. We teach how the Constitution, went, the Constitution was understood when it was ratified. And that's really how you determine the meaning of any contract, right? It's how did the people who made the agreement at the time understand that agreement? And that's really how we should interpret the Constitution, not through this living, breathing, you know, whatever politicians today want it to mean. It really has to have a set meaning or it's ultimately meaningless. Yeah. And so we talk about that a lot, but we also do activism and the activism side of it is really focused on using state and local power to try to harness and, and put the federal government back in the box that it was intended to be in. If we go back to uh, Federalist number 45, which was written by James Madison, he kind of summed up what the system in the United States was supposed to look like. And he put it like this. He said, the powers delegated to the federal government by the proposed constitution at the time it had not been ratified. He said, these powers are few and defined. And then he went on and he said, the powers which will remain with the state governments are numerous and indefinite. Amen. And then he went on and he explained in a little more detail that the powers of the federal government would primarily have to do with things like war, peace, foreign trade, stuff that kind of looks out toward the world and everything else. All of the things that appertain to the life, liberty and prosperity of the people was supposed to remain with the state governments. 
Obviously, we have a situation now where the system has been completely flipped on its head. We have a federal government that has virtually unlimited power and exercises it to its delight. And when I say that, I mean the federal government even tells us things like how much water we can have in our toilets (laughs) and what kind of light bulbs we can screw into our light fixtures. That is not in any sense a government that has few and defined powers, right? Fortunately, there is something we can do about it. We let it get to this state, but we can put the federal government back in its box. And that's what we focus on in terms of our activism at the 10th Amendment Center. And really, it just has to do with refusing to cooperate with the things the federal government wants to do. And this sounds radical, and people will hear that for the first time and go, oh, that's kind of that's kind of nutty. But this was actually the blueprint that James Madison gave in Federalist Number 46. In Federalist 45, he told us that the federal government was supposed to be limited. And then the question that obviously arises from that is, what do you do about it when the federal government oversteps its bounds? And he answered that question in Federalist Number 46, and he gave a number of things that states can do. He talked about governors protesting and petitions and things like that. But the key was, and these were his actual literal words, you can look them up, a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. In other words, state and local governments simply don't have to go along and do all of the things federal government tells them to do. And to put that in practical terms, what it means is the uh, state, the state of Texas or whatever state you happen to be in, does not have to use its personnel or its resources to enforce a federal law or implement a federal program. And the dirty little secret is the federal government depends on the state's in local governments to do almost everything. So if, you know, it's, it's all about teamwork. Well, teamwork doesn't work if half the team quits. And that's really what we're trying to get the, the state and local governments to do when it comes to a wide variety of, of issues, everything from, you know, federal gun control to healthcare to promoting sound money. All of these things depend on the states. And, and of course, uh, in the uh, issue that's near and dear to your heart, vaccine mandates. If the federal government yeah. issues a, ma- a vaccine mandate, who's going to enforce it? You know, it's not like the FBI is going to show up in Texas to enforce a vaccine mandate. They're going to depend on the governors. They're going to depend on the state police. They're going to depend on the local police. And they don't have to do it. And the beauty of this is that the Supreme Court actually agrees that I generally don't give a lot of weight to what the Supreme Court says because most of it's wrong. But it just so happens that in this case, over more than 150 years, the the Supreme Court has held that state and local governments do not have to use their personnel or resources to enforce a federal law or implement a federal program. It's known as the anti-commandeering doctrine. And it's really the legal principle that hinges on everything that we do at the the 10th Amendment Center. The state of Texas does not have to enforce a federal law. And and it doesn't even have to give a reason. You know, I mean, we, we usually frame it in terms of constitutionality. So we'll say a state doesn't have to enforce an unconstitutional law, but a state doesn't have to enforce any federal law. I mean, it could just decide that it's raining and it's Tuesday and we don't want to do this. <laughs> and and the whole idea is that the, these are separate entities. The state is separate from the federal government. And if the federal government wants to do something, then it's incumbent on the federal government to do it itself. And so it's a powerful tool that we have at our disposal to put the federal government back in its box. Because like I said, the federal government depends on 
state and local governments for almost everything that it does. So we work at the state level primarily to try to get laws passed to withdraw this necessary support from the federal government. So uh, again, you can see it in a wide variety of things. Missouri passed a law a couple of years ago that prohibits the state from enforcing most federal gun control. Um, there, there was a, a, a bill that was introduced in Texas in the last session. It did not pass, but uh, it was considered that would have stopped the state of Texas from enforcing all of the EPA's environmental mandates. It would put environmental protection totally at the state level which is where it belongs in the, to begin with. So that's really kind of the broad overview, and I'm sure we can talk more specifically about how this might apply to healthcare and health decisions and those types of things. Yes, well, and speaking of that, I mean, let's kind of get to uh, the main reason why we invited you on the show today, and that is, I know you're very familiar with the developing situation where the WHO or the WHO may be given authority over mm -hmm. Americans and future pandemics, pandemics that the, the WHO um, declares, if you will. Uh, so this is something I, I'm asked about a lot. I travel the state, I speak to numerous groups and, you know, this, uh, you know, what about the WHO thing co always comes up and like, maybe we should just use that as our agreed upon shorthand, the WHO thing, the who thing um, I like if it. you, if you will, just to make it a little bit easier. But um, so I am asked about this a lot. And so I thought it would be a good idea to invite you on someone far more knowledgeable about the WHO thing and uh, just give us a little bit of insight into this. So just to be clear, this interview is not going to necessarily focus on the specifics of the WHO thing itself, or such as whether or not it should be um, in, go into effect, but whether it's more of a, I don't know, thought experiment is kind of right. the phrase that I use. So let's assume that it has been implemented for this, the purpose of this discussion. It has gone to effect and we'll focus on the tactics that Americans can possibly use to resist uh, who control in our lives here in Texas. So my first question on the who thing, if we want to call it that, is, you know, I know you're quite familiar with this developing situation, like I said. So what details about the treaty can you provide first for our listeners? Well, I'll be real honest with you. I've not actually read the who thing. So okay. when you get into specifics, I, I really can't address that. I would take more of a uh, what a, a twenty thousand foot view, and the first thing that that I would point out is just from a purely philosophical standpoint, what sense does it make to have a an unelected, unaccountable world government body dictating actual policies in the state of Texas? or in the state of Florida where I am, or any place else for that matter. And I, I talk about this sometimes in, in these broader terms with folks. It, it tends to be people on the left that, that are a little bit more friendly towards this idea of centralized power, right? Except they're not really. Because if you talk to them about corporate power, they'll immediately tell you, well, that's a bad idea. If, if I was to propose Mike Meharry is emperor for a day, which incidentally would be a horrible idea. I know myself too well. But let's just pretend somebody gives me this, this ultimate power and I get to make unilateral decisions. I'm the benevolent dictator of the world. And I decide that, you know what? We're 
this is stupid having all these different grocery stores. We only need one grocery store, Walmart. Walmart is going to be our grocery store. That's where you get to get groceries. It's going to be more efficient. It'll be centralized. Everything will be great. Well, nobody would agree to that, right? Everybody would be like, that's a horrible idea because Walmart's going to just raise prices and the quality is going to go down and your selection is going to go down. All of these things we know happen when you have a monopoly. Well, why would you think that this would not apply to monopoly government? And that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about, I mean, even the federal government. But we've, we're taking it a step farther, and we're basically ceding control. I, I don't even know. What do you even call the WHO? It's not even a government. I mean, I didn't vote for them, right? It's, 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 this, it's this weird body that we're giving all of this power over our lives with, with no accountability. I guess just because they're the experts or something. I don't know. But it's a bad idea just from a broad, big picture uh, um, point of view. And, you know, the idea, I guess, is that, oh, they're going to centralize things and everybody will have, will have, you know, uniform policies and that's a good thing. All we need to do is go back and look at the experience of 2020. And it becomes abundantly clear that we don't want uniform policies because most of those uniform policies are going to be awful. And anybody that is, yeah. is now, what, we're, th we're three years removed, anybody that's looking back and saying, you know, I think it was a good idea to shut down the entire U.S. economy for a year. No. You know, obviously that was a horrible idea. So, you know, again, even assuming that these people do have some level of expertise, giving them unilateral decision-making and, and monopolizing that decision-making in, in one small group of people is just, I mean, quite frankly, it's dumb. And it, yeah. it really goes against human nature. And, you know, uh, Friedrich Hayek was a, an economist, and he talked about this thing called the knowledge problem. And he was primarily talking about it in terms of economics, but it, it, it's true of any policy. And the knowledge policy problem is that no single human being or small group of human beings can possibly know everything that's necessary to know in order to make a good decision. And the more complex the issue, the more true that this is, right? So if you have, you know, 10 people making a decision about how we're going to run the economy, it's going to be a disaster just because the, even if they are the, the best of intentions, which, you know, we can debate whether that's true or not. But let's just pretend for a minute. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt, and we'll say that the who thing is all about, you know, good intentions. We're going to make the world a better place with this. Even if we assume that, we also have to understand that these people don't have enough knowledge to make decisions that are in the best interest. You always fare better in a decentralized decision-making system because, you can look at someplace and you can say, you know, that didn't work or, hey, that did work. So in the situation that we had in the United States, as big a disaster as it was going back to the pandemic year, you can still look because there was enough difference. There was enough federalism remaining in the American system where we can look at a state like Florida and we can compare the policies and the outcomes to a state like California. And we can now look back and say, you know what? Florida actually had looser policies and we fared better 
in terms of you know all morbid all time morbidity, especially if you age adjust. Florida did better than California, despite all of California's draconian impulses. So we learned from that. But if you have one decision making body, which inevitably is you know, as, as experience shows, they're inevitably going to lean towards the most draconian policies possible. You, you would have never had any comparison. You would have never had a Sweden. You would have never had a Florida or a, a South Dakota or any of these other states that you can make these comparisons. So this is why, just from a purely philosophical standpoint, I never favor centralized decision-making. You know, they talked about it in in the early days of the American Republic. One of the beauties of the system was that what they called 50 laboratories of ideas. You have 50 different states making 50 different policies, and we can compare and contrast, and we can say that worked, that didn't work. And worst case scenario, you can move. You know, that's the other beauty to having federalism. You you have a safety valve. Uh, We moved from Kentucky to Florida, not because of the COVID stuff, but because of uh, taxes. You know, it's just a better tax environment here for us. But a lot of people moved to Florida because they looked at the COVID policies in New York or New Jersey or some of these other states. And they said, why would we want to live under that? Especially we can go where it's warm, right? So this is, this is why people should resist this centralizing impulse. And even if you think that your guys or gals are going to have the best ideas in the world, it should always be in an environment where it can be tested, where we have actual real science, right? Not science trademark, where uh, <laughs> you've got this single decision making. And that's what this this who stuff ultimately comes down to. It is putting a monopoly on science, which is absurd because that's not science. And it is dictating to the entire world how we're going to deal with something that is Far beyond anybody's ability to conceptualize or understand, again, even giving them the benefit of the doubt that this is some kind of, of benevolent thing. And again, I don't really give them that benefit of the doubt. I think it has a lot more to do yeah. with control and power. Um, but you know, that, don't even have to make that argument because it's just a bad idea to, de- to centralize decision making. And, and really, right. you know, that's what we saw. Again, we saw that with COVID. We saw the WHO basically the CDC parroting what the who said. And again, the states that ignored that stuff fared better. So I of the opinion that we should have more let's ignore what, you know, the who people and the CDC people and the centralizers are saying and let's make decisions on our own in our own communities. And yeah, we might make some some places might make bad decisions, but I would rather risk that and have one small jurisdiction make the wrong choice than have that imposed from on high on the entire world. And again, you know, 50 laboratories of idea. I I look at California all the time. People are always railing about how awful California is. Let them be awful over there, you know? (laughs) If they want to have a state-run healthcare system, let them try it, because we know if we understand economics, it's going to fail. So let's watch it fail. I don't have to deal with it. Now, I, you know, I feel bad for people in California, but again, they can move. So it's, it's really, for me, it's a broader philosophical question of do we want centralized decision-making, centralized power, centralized control, or do we want a decentralized system where 
ideas and, and things can go against each other and, and the best thing can prevail. I am all for a marketplace of ideas, not, I don't know what, a communist world of ideas where it's all imposed from on yeah. high. Very good. Okay, well, so what are the main tactics from within the Tenth Amendment Center's Ballywick that could potentially preserve Texans' liberty? Like, so let's, again, assuming that the, the who thing, it goes into effect. In other words, how could Texans resist the vaccine mandates from the who or their mask mandates, their lockdowns that, you know, these requirements that the feds will then turn around and tell us that we as Texans have to do? Right. And, and, and so this is exactly in our wheelhouse because, again, we thankfully live in a legal environment where the federal government and by extension, the who, and, and basically that's what the who thing does, right? It makes this unaccountable, unelected international body of whoever, <laughs> it basically gives them government control. It makes them an extension of the federal government. Again, horrible, horrible kind of idea. Like, horrible idea. Like, like you, and it's like, it's weird to me because if you put it in almost in any other context, people will be like, no, why would we do that? But all the, but when it comes to healthcare, which really, when you get down to it, you know, how you decide to take care of your own body is one of the most fundamental aspects of being a, an independent human being that exists, right? I mean, that's that's like fundamental. What do I put in my Shouldn't body? What do I controversial. not put Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. So if you put this, you know, if you said that you're going to have an international body regulate cell phones, I guarantee you most people would be like, oh, that's a horrible idea. And yet we're going to do that with healthcare? Ridiculous. I'm, I, and that's not answering the question. I got a little tangent there. <laughs> that one was for free to our right. listeners. <laughs> right. But so, so going back to this, you basically create a, you're creating a situation with the who thing where the who becomes an extension of the federal government. So you've got the federal government dictating and, and mandating based on these decisions by these international people over here. And then they're telling the states, you have to do this. And again, we go back to the anti-commandeering doctrine, the states don't have to do it. The states do not have to lift a finger or spend a penny to enforce anything that comes down from the federal government or by extension from some other international body. So from a specific standpoint, the Texas legislature could pass a law that basically says the state of Texas and all of its political subdivisions and all of its employees are prohibited from enforcing any vaccine mandate that comes from the federal government or the WHO. The language could be almost as simple as that. Now, you know, obviously you want to make sure your legal I's are dotted and your T's are crossed, but that's the essence of it. It would make it a crime in the state of Texas for Texas officials to enforce the mandates or whatever else, you know, they decide that they're going to try to, to enforce. So that would leave the federal government in a position where if it wants to enforce this vaccine mandate, it would have to somehow come up with the personnel and the resources to do it. And they, they don't have it. They simply don't have it. And 
a lot of times people say, no, I think we overestimate the power of the federal government sometimes. It would take like the entire DEA budget just to shut down all of the marijuana businesses in the city of Los Angeles. They can't do it. In the same way, they can't enforce federal gun control with just the ATF. And, and there is no enforcement mechanism to enforce a vaccine mandate. It, it doesn't exist. So what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything because they're depending on the state and local governments to fall in line. So if Texas prohibited it, I guarantee you that it would be highly unlikely that there would be any meaningful enforcement of a vaccine mandate in the state if the state wasn't enforcing it. And the more states that do this, the more difficult it becomes for the federal government to, to assert its control. The federal government is going to depend on states to say, well, we've got to do this because the federal government said so. But if they don't, then it's not going to get enforced. That's the bottom line. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just a fact. It's just math. Um, and, and so this is what I would suggest uh, activists in uh, the, the state work on, you know, put together a piece of legislation, return that decision making power to the state government. Uh, and of course, you know, you can't necessarily trust the state government either, but um, I think there's probably enough popular opinion. I think there's enough popular opinion nationwide. You know, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people, especially given the experience that we've been through, are really gung ho about these vaccine mandates. You know, and it's especially given the fact that when you look at the, the vaccines that they rolled out for COVID, they didn't work. You know, they, they didn't do anything beneficial and, and they've argued, arguably called, caused a great deal of harm. So I think the yeah. political wins in terms of, of what the people want, I think, is on the side of those of us who believe in, in bodily autonomy. And, and so, therefore, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good political environment, especially right now. You have the legal environment that allows you to do it. And you have the popular support where people are going to say, you know what? Yeah, this, this should not be something. We should not have this dictated from on high. And so I think it could be a very effective strategy. And again, we've seen it work with, uh, with marijuana. Uh, another great example of, of where a state has kind of worked its way around what the federal government says, also uh, in Texas, was a uh, piece of legislation called Right to Try. And this was actually passed in, I think, ultimately 44 states. Uh, but basically what it did, it, was, it created a state process for individuals who were suffering from a terminal illness to access treatment options that had not been given final approval by the FDA. Um, which, again, it's one of those things when you really think about it, it's like the FDA is really going to deny a dying person something that might save their life because... It might be dangerous, They're dying anyway, you know? And so this yeah. was something that, that very quickly gained popular traction. And in Texas, there was a, a doctor, once Texas passed a right to try to law, uh, this doctor was doing a, an experimental trial. Uh, it was actually the cancer that, uh, that Jobs died from, the uh, Apple CEO. And he was doing this clinical trial, and the FDA said, well, the clinical trial is over. You have to stop giving these people this drug that was showing success in treating this particular cancer. So he went, he used the state process, was able to continue treating these folks and saved quite a few lives doing this. So again, this is, this is something that has worked. It's not just 
Mike Meharry speculating. We know that the federal government needs state and local support to enforce things. We know the state and local governments don't have to provide that uh, that support. And we've seen it demonstrated where it actually works. So uh, sure. I think it's a great a great bit of hope for people because I think sometimes we look at like, oh, this, this giant international organization is going to have all this power. And we think because it's a giant international organization that it's going to be able to wield that power. It can't because it, they don't have any, you know, it's not like the who, there's, there's not who police, <laughs> well, at least not yet. So <laughs> not, um. <laughs> not yet. That's right. Well, I right. love hearing about these creative ways that states and citizens themselves have pushed back on that. So let's talk about legislation. Have any states proposed legislation or passed legislation that explicitly and directly addresses, um, you know, these protections for citizens against the WHO? Yeah, we have seen uh, a, a number of bills introduced uh, in the last legislative session and in, in, uh, in, in the previous. So 2022, 2023 is when we started to see this type of legislation come up because people recognize that, oh, we do have vaccine mandates. Uh, I, the, the one that, that pops off in the top of my head is uh, New Hampshire. is and, and they've actually got a bill that's pending in this legislation session that's coming up. I know there are others. I don't have them all at the top of my head. If people are interested in going and getting more specifics on a state by state level, you can go to our website, 10th Amendment Center.com, and 10th Amendment Center is all spelled out. And you can go to the blog section of that. So it'd be 10th Amendment Center.com slash blog. And you can actually search in the search bar. You can put in vaccines and uh, you can see what states. Here, I'll do it right now, actually. I've, I have the power. All right. Let's see. And I have a feeling you're an expert on uh, navigating your blog, <laughs> your own blog. <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I can do that. Um, let's see. So there was a uh, uh, Kentucky bill that was filed in 2020 is the first thing that popped up. It would uh, bar mandatory vaccines in the state. Um, there's some bills that were to uh, opt children out. Um Let's see. Didn't Nebraska file a bill specifically about, again, the who thing? Yeah, it might, they might have. Like, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a 2021 bill. It was uh, sponsored by Representative Jim Olson. And uh, it declared forcing a vaccination mandate as a condition of employment against uh, a citizen of Oklahoma would be barred. So it basically bar public or private employers from enforcing these mandates, which, again, is within the power of the state to do this. So um, and, and there's yeah. other states. It's it's um, in Texas. I mean, we just were we uh, just in October, we got uh, the ban on covid mandates from private employers finally passed in a third special session about, let's be clear, I while I'm incredibly thankful for that, that bill that is finally, it goes into effect in, uh, on February 6th, I believe, 2024. But we're already seeing these huge um, employers in Texas already dropping them even before the true, um, you know, date of effectiveness. But 
I'm very grateful for it, but we had to fight for, you know, almost three years to get even yeah. these basic liberties passed in Texas, which I think the rest of the nation really thinks that we're some sort of standard bearer <laughs> of liberty. And I mean, I'm a sixth generation Texan and it, it grieves my heart how hard we have to fight here for even these basic fundamental rights, like not conditioning employment on, mm. you know, whether you have or have not received an injection of to use your words, questionable, you know, effectiveness right. and known harm. Well, I think you're, you're, you bring up a very important point that people need to be aware of and understand. There is only so much we can do. I, I think we have a tendency, and when I say we, I think people in general, have a tendency to kind of trust the politicians to do the right thing, right? We, we kind of think, okay, if we can vote for the right people, then we can just kind of sit back and the process will take care of itself. Absolutely not true. All of this requires human action. It requires the engagement of individuals. The old saying is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. This is absolutely true when it comes to politics. I am, people will call me cynical. Maybe I am. I will accept that label. But I think most people who rise to high positions in politics are at some level sociopaths. I don't trust them, with the very small exception. There's some good folks that are well-meaning that get elected to office, but most of them are interested in power. And we know the old saying from Acton, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We have to motivate these folks and incentivize them to do the right thing. That takes work. It takes grassroots effort. That's one of the reasons, though, that I really like taking a state level approach as opposed to you know trying to go get congress to pass a bill that would cut the who out right i think it's much more difficult for folks regular people to impact the process at the federal level than it is at the state level and i've actually had state representatives tell me that they get very few phone calls emails relating to specific legislation at the state level. They're used to going through entire legislative sessions and not hearing from their constituents when it comes to actual bills. So if you have a bill where you have the grassroots mobilized and they're making the phone calls and they're sending the emails, that has a huge impact at the state level, much more so than what you've experienced yeah. if you've ever called Congress. You call I Congress- I was gonna say, Texas, we, we probably put out I don't know, nearly two dozen action alerts during the five months of our legislative session telling people this bill, this bill, call these people, call yes. you know, this committee, this. I mean, our our um, list is engaged. In fact, we had state reps, you know, tell our uh, political directors in the in the Capitol, have your people stop calling me. I, I'm voting. I'm, I'm going to vote the right, right way. Please have right. them stop calling me. And, and I'm like, that's how you get it to move. Yes. And in the moment they tell you to stop calling, call more. Right? Yeah, right, because because it is it it does have that impact, and so that that leads me kind of to my my second point that you've kind of swerved into, and that's the fact that liberty doesn't happen in a day, right? Thomas Jefferson, mm -hmm. I love this quote. He said, "The ground of liberty is to be gained by inches," and he went on. And he said, "We have to lay hold of what we can, and then push to advance that farther." 
that is really the ultimate big picture strategy when it comes to making change. You have to understand that it is hard work and it takes a long time and you have to be persistent. You can't just expect somebody to introduce a bill this session and for it just to breeze through and pass. Almost never happens that way, unfortunately. Nope. I mentioned the bill that was passed in Missouri where they prohibited the state enforcement of a lot of federal gun control. It took like six years of having the bill introduced, having it get to a committee, having it get voted down in the committee. The next year, hey, it got voted out of committee. Yay, we won that victory, but then it dies on the House floor. So the next year you're pushing, you get it through the committee, you get it through the House, and then it goes to the... It's a constant push. It took them 10 years to legalize medical marijuana in Illinois. It took, uh, I, I know some folks who are, are, are activists in Montana that are uh, really involved in raw milk. They're big believers in raw milk. Uh, there was a big dairy lobby in Montana that was really resistant towards allowing the sale of raw milk. It took them like five years of fighting and pushing, but they were finally able to get it done. And it goes back to that persistence. You can't give up. And it's easy to get discouraged in this game. You know, it's easy to look around you and say, oh, my gosh, we've got the who thing and we've got the CDC thing. and We've got Congress doing this awful stuff. And, and it's easy to get bogged down and, and discouraged and just give up. And that's what the bad guys want you to do. I was going to say, that's what they're banking on. They're banking on, you know, us giving up. But you perfectly describe some of our prominent legislation and are the victories. I mean, we have different bills, obviously different legislative priorities that we're pushing through, you know, and we've seen that exact scenario play out where, you know, the first session it's merely filed, the next session yep. it's filed and we get a hearing. And then, you know, we get, and we saw one of our, you know, priority pieces of legislation finally get passed in the regular session in 2023. And this is a bill we filed four or five times previously. Yeah. And it's just, it is a testimony to the persistence, not just of our organization, but just the thousands of grassroots people that kept calling, that kept showing yeah. up, that kept, and like you said, they are counting on us giving up of crawling back into our holes and just being compliant little citizens. And you know, these yahoos at the CDC and the WHO, they have their long game. Well, guess what? Texans for Vaccine Choice, we have our long game too, and we are not going anywhere. Absolutely. Reminds me of a quote that I love, Frederick Douglass. He was a slave, if folks aren't familiar with him. Uh, he said this, he said, find out just what the people will submit to, and you have found out the exact amount of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them. And these will continue until they are resisted with either words or blows or both. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. Wow. And so, yeah, it, it comes down to us. But you guys are doing things the right way. So I just want to encourage everybody who's listening, encourage you, encouraging other people's peoples, people who are in your organization to keep up the fight because we will win with that persistence because – you know, politics ultimately is is about force, and ultimately they don't have enough if we refuse to give up. There's more of us, and we're smarter than they are. 
and, and I think we're more passionate about it. You know, when they realize that they're not going to be able to exercise power this way, they're going to try to find some other way to exercise power. So we just have to stand strong. And it's, it's really exciting to talk to folks because what we do at the 10th Amendment Center is ultimately we're just trying to support folks like you. We're trying to support the grassroots. We're trying to support the people who are, who are trying to get things done by kind of helping things move through the political process and, and educating people, you know, that we can do this, that, you know, we're allowed. But ultimately, what we're doing is, you know, there's just a few of us. It's ultimately incumbent upon folks to to stand up and, and care about what they care about. And, you know, that's kind of the good news, I think. In, in some ways, the the experience of the pandemic was horrible for a lot of people, but I think there's also a sense that it galvanized a lot of people and it made a lot of people aware, you know, we, we have got to, we can't just sit back and let the WHO people and the CDC people and the Fauci's and, and, and all of these, again, sociopaths who are really looking for control and power. We cannot let them win. And we have to to use whatever we have at our disposal to to keep up that fight and that's that's what we're doing so yay amazing yay <laughs> <laughs> well i agree that there were certainly silver linings to uh, everything that you know i would say texans but really ultimately it's the the world experience during mm-hmm. the covid response and so like you we are uh embracing the you know the the tide the momentum towards the the you know, the path of liberty, if you will. And I think that's a great place to, to wrap up, Mike. If you have any final words, I would love to hear them. Well, I would just love for folks to, to check out what we're doing at the 10th Amendment Center. Uh, again, 10thamendmentcenter.com, T-E-N-T-H, amendmentcenter.com. And one of the things that you can do, one of the resources that we have available is what we call the State of the Nullification Movement Report. And I never really explained the word nullification. It's just a fancy term for what we're doing on the activism side. Uh, Nullification simply means making something not exist anymore. And so what we're doing is we're doing things to effectively nullify what the federal government's trying to do or what the WHO people are trying to do in this particular case. So if you go to uh, our website, on the very front page, you can scroll down and you'll find this State of the Nullification Movement report. It's a PDF report. It's a free download. And it's a hundred and some pages that actually lays out the philosophy and the strategy in a much more detailed way than what I could go into here in this overview. So if people are interested, then you can go there, you can get this resource, and you can figure out and understand exactly you know, the principles behind what we're doing, why it works, how it works why the legal environment allows it to happen. And it's a great educational resource. And again, you can apply this to all kinds of issues. You know, it's not just about vaccine mandates. It's about anything that the federal Mm -hmm. government is doing that it shouldn't be doing. We have the ability to push back against it. And we're just looking for more and more creative ways to do that. So folks want to check that out. That would be fantastic. And we would always love to have people support. You can be a member of the 10th Amendment Center for as little as $2 a month. And those $2 that come in, pile up and allow us to do the work that we do. So That's right. We are 100% donor funded here too. So I understand the power of the small dollar donor. Yes. Of course, we it's uh, for sure. So, well, thank you again for joining us. That is a wonderful way to end this today's show. Please go check out the 10th Amendment Center.com. And, uh, and thank you so much for just 
you speak so eloquently on states' rights and liberty, and it's just always nice to 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 chat with a fellow liberty lover. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and again, really happy with what you guys are doing and, and the work that you're doing out there. So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shot Callers podcast. Please, if you found value in this content, rate us and share the podcast with a friend. It's a great way to get the message out and to empower everyone to make informed decisions. Until next time, never forget, we are the Shot Callers.